0: You have handouts, so actually I don't know if there's a promise I said I would try my best. Last week we started looking at a theology of glory. The subject of God's glory is elementary but not easy do not mistake it for easy. All of Scripture is a revelation of the glory of God and even the verbal aspect that we are privileged to engage in glorifying Him of which He created us for. So, we need to think about how can we bring this about? If this is the chief end of man, this is the purpose of God creating us, We must give thought to how to bring God glory because it is not something that, you know, though though I said it's uh, elementary, it is not easy. In our words, in the desires of our hearts at times, we often fail to glorify God, and so we want to increase our consistency in living lives to the glory of God. We want to be proclaiming God's glory on the earth because that's the very end of our existence. As we are, are exposed to different scriptures relating to the glory of God, we are told that God is called jealous. He is a jealous God because He permits no rivalry that can detract from His glory. I used an illustration last week of Herod when he gave that oration in the book of Acts and God struck him dead because the garments of glory only fit God Himself. There is scarcely one among a hundred who makes the manifestation of God's glory His chief end, and so we want to do that. The handouts are back there. I beat you to it. So, six specifics or six clarifications of a life that brings glory to God, the purpose of our creation. He has saved us to enable us to glorify Him, so we must be committed to lives to the glory of God. First of those six that we looked at last week, we, you must understand why you need to glorify God, and there were four bullet points under that, the, the first slide, because of who God is, because of what He has done or is doing, because we were all created for it, and because he expects it exclusively, and will answer it to him. And I believe that uh, as we concluded our Sunday school hour last week, we got to the second, which is you must grasp that in your present situation, it is most important. In every situation we go through in life, it has been sovereignly orchestrated by God for the expressed goal of bringing Him glory under that point because God deserves and expects it in every situation. We could use so many illustrations of how it is not easy to glorify God, but yet God expects it and deserves it. Because it affects our communion with God and with others, and even affects our appropriation of His grace and help in the situation. If we choose in the moment, in the situation, to glorify self rather than glorify God, does that not hinder our communion with Him? How about in uh, the moment that uh, if, if you are married when you have an intense moment of fellowship with your spouse? or as other people call it, an argument. When you choose to glorify self rather than honor them, it hinders communion. It hinders fellowship. It's the same with God. When we choose to glorify ourselves or our sin, it hinders and hampers that communion. Think about it. The the path that we choose, the choices that we make, if... If we don't grasp that in our present situation, glorifying God is the most important, it'll create more sin and trouble. We we read in wisdom literature of the Old Testament that the way of a transgressor, the way of a lawbreaker, is what? It's hard. It's hard. We need to not only preach that truth to unbelievers, but when we break God's law, though we are not characteristic lawbreakers because we've been redeemed, we still have transgressed and we have created a hard path, thinking that this is what's going to bring pleasure when in reality it delivers pain in the moment that we choose not to glorify God. We're accountable for that. We're culpable for the decisions we make, so, I say one more time to reiterate, you and I, who know Christ, must grasp that in our present situation, it is the most important. Who cares if self has to take the back seat? Who cares if you don't win the argument? If God is not glorified, we have failed the situation. Let me give a third uh, of this how this reality, this this shoe leather, this rubber meets the road. Yes, we know that we need to glorify God, but how? You you and I must recognize what is standing in the way. If we do not evaluate life and recognize, okay, uh, let, let me use this illustration. When we're going down the road this time of year, we got wonderful roads here in Connecticut, don't we? And we, there's potholes everywhere. And as you are scoping down the road, whether it's Eighty Four or down the road that you live on, if you're a smart driver that doesn't enjoy wasting money on alignments and everything, you try to dodge those potholes if there's no other car coming and in the way. It's the same in your Christian venue as as you careen down the life and you're seeking to glorify God, if you see the pothole and don't make any measurements to, to, to miss it, you're going to hit it every time. And if we don't see our, our encumbrances and sins that we need to put off, as the writer of Hebrews says, that's why I say we must recognize what, what is standing in the way? Why do I keep failing to glorify God in this instant every time? What is the rub? Where is the pothole? Underneath that point, what might be standing in the way is a temporal perspective. We get so caught up in life, the busyness of what we call life, work, family, ministry, the the whole enchilada. And when you study Matthew chapter 6, especially towards the latter part of the chapter, we find that Jesus contrasts the way of the Gentiles, the way of those that don't know Him as Savior, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. See, unbelievers, it's all about their kingdom, what I'm building as a monument, as a testament to myself. And so, it might be temporal perspective. Take your Bibles and turn over to Colossians chapter 3 for just a quick pit stop here this morning. As we seek to reorient life around the glory of God, and the glory of God not just being a noun of what stems from Him, but glory of God being a verb that we attribute to Him and we seek to live out our lives. Colossians chapter 3, notice the first four verses As Paul is writing to the church at Colossae about the new self, the the new creature in Christ Jesus, he says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Notice the command in verse 2. Any command of Scripture given to the believer, God's command is automatically His enablement. Right? Through the power of the Spirit of God, set your mind. So, this is something we are accountable to do. This is something we are to obey. This is something that we are to pursue. This is something that God holds us accountable, and we can't offer up the excuse, well, I just can't. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So, it's not a matter of I can't, but it might be a matter of just pure laziness and not pursuing the glory of God actively to set our minds on on an eternal perspective. We need to rise above the situations of life and recognize their eternal consequence of the choices we make. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. The end dictates how we behave today as we set our mind, our heart, our affections, our will on eternal things. So we are looking at six Specific clarifications of a life that brings glory to God. Six things that we need to be committed to. We need to glorify God and enjoy God's fellowship. Live our lives in the will of God and and by this accomplish His purpose for Him having us here in the world. So, we need to recognize what what might be standing in the way of me doing this. Second point under that, how about an, another life agenda? That might be what is preventing us from bringing God glory. And I, I gave you that illustration. Oh, I never woke the PowerPoint up. Sorry, to make sure everyone knows where we're at. Luke chapter 10. We won't turn there, but let me remind you of the story. You remember Mary and Martha? Martha's, uh, Jesus addresses her and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by many things. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. Worried about serving. And You know, Martha, it's almost like she's got the hairy eyeball looking at Mary because what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet, worshiping Jesus. Chosen the good part. There might be other life agendas that are so consuming our attention, we are not glorifying God. How about uh, having your needs met? Ed Welch says, quote, we need to need people less and love them more. Think about how needs or people-oriented many are. Think about the idolatry that creeps into life of other agendas, maybe the idolatry of too big a focus on family and not enough focus on Christ You know, I I threw that in as as I contemplate. Uh, you know, I was looking through uh, the death of Sunday night services in in churches, and one of the biggest uh, reasons that people suggest as to why they stopped going to Sunday night services was so that they could have family time. And there's no greater thing for the people of God to do than to gather as the family of God. And worship of of Him. There can be subtle little life agendas that creep in to get our focus off glorifying God. So, what are those life agendas? Let me give a, a third under here. Uh, as we we are seeking to recognize what is standing in the way of me bringing glory to God, is there a lack of true salvation. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. This is one of those life-orienting verses. This is a verse that if you have not, I would encourage you to memorize and revisit this often. Whether you Put it on a 3x5 card and stick it to your rearview mirror or on the bathroom mirror for when you're fixing your face in the morning or whatever the case may be. This is one of those verses that reminds us why we are here. 2 Corinthians 5.15, somebody want to read that for us? He delivered us from ourselves so that we could live for God. Not for ourselves, but for God. Instead of life being all about the world and sex and work and future and appearance and friends and others, all about me, for me, what I want, when Christ invades a life with the gospel of grace, everything changes. There is an eternal perspective as Paul pens the first chapter of his epistle to the Romans. Characteristic that he says of unbelievers is that they refuse to glorify God. That is a, you know, glorifying God is a mark of true salvation, that, that those that are redeemed by the gospel of grace have a consuming desire to honor God, to honor Christ. And if there is not that desire, probably what's standing in your way from bringing God's glory is that you need salvation. So, there can be a temporal perspective, there can be other life agendas, there can be lack of salvation prohibiting From a life that glorifies God. Let me give you a fourth in our list. You and I must know what it practically means to glorify God. What does it look like? There are many ways to glorify Him with our heart, with our lips, with our lives. As you think about having a heart that brings God glory, what are you desiring? What are you seeking after? What, what causes great delight to you? As you think about having lips that glorify God, what do you say about Him? That's a great question on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, I, I, now, I... You, you, you all know I'm not a sports nut, I don't follow any sports, I only claim to be a Red Sox fan because my dad's not, and any way to rib family and whatnot, Yankee fans and whatnot. Uh, but you know, when our conversation is consumed only with sports, only with the weather, only with work, and not about God, there's something wrong with the picture. What takes up the time of our lips how about our lives? How we live? What we do to serve His interest? We ought to evaluate heart, lips, and lives each day. We, we started uh, the first of the year, was it the first of the year that we started doing communion every other Sunday or back December, I forget. But uh, we we want to be regularly partaking as a church body of the Lord's table, celebrating His death for our life and His resurrection for our victory. And we do that to to think about each day, is my heart, are my lips, is my life bringing glory to Him? We ought to evaluate those each day through biblical confession and repentance that you know, what I desired today wasn't all for God's glory. You know, there was things I said that did not glorify God because they were harsh and not gentle, not the fruit of the Spirit. And so we quickly confess and repent of that. Let's break it down. And I, I made these all verbs reminding us that bringing glory to God is an activity to engage in as we break down what it practically means to glorify God, it is reaching out and receiving Him, making Him our first love, knowing Him more, praying, God, reveal to me wondrous truths from Your law that I might know You better. Reveal Your face to me. It's praising and thanking Him for what He has already done for us, how about a third as, as we look at where the rubber meets the road in, in a life that glorifies God? How about obedience? I gave you a couple of references there because these are some clear and unambiguous passages that point to a life that glorifies Him. And in John 14:21. Jesus says, he who has my commands and keeps them, he is the one that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So, go back up to that first sub-point. If we're praying, God, I want to know you better, and yet thirdly, we're not obeying him, those are contradictory lives. That's contradictory prayers. He that loves me keeps my commandments. Over there in the next chapter, John 15, 8, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You know, as we think about obeying what God has commanded us, I think that what comes real quickly off from this is that, is that fourth, dealing with sin and pursuing purity. Are you taking active ownership of the sin in your life? I, I gave you that reference of Joshua 7. You remember the defeat at Ai? God had said, don't take any spoils of war like the heathen of the land as credit to themselves and their own brains and their own brawn. Leave nothing, uh, leave everything, take nothing. And they were defeated at Ai because of Achan. And so, matter of fact, I was reading through this just this morning. In Joshua chapter 7 and verses number 24 through 25, After they catch Achan for sinning against God from disobeying him, trying to pull the wool over his eyes in the camp of Israel, Joshua, all Israel with him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, all that he took that he wasn't supposed to take, in other words. They also took his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. Everything that represented Achan, trespassing God's law, knowing that the way of a transgressor is hard. They took it all, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. They burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. There raised over Him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of His anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, a memorial that God takes sin serious. How serious ought we to be in lives of holiness to glorify God? How about reflecting His attributes? We're commanded in Scripture, be holy, for I am holy. Reflect His holiness. How about building up and being vitally involved in the church? The church for which Jesus shed His blood to purchase a bride unto the praise of His own name. How about proclaiming Christ? How about desiring, delighting, and being in Christ alone? So again, these bullet points of verbs speaking of being active, proactive in pursuing the glory of God in our lives. Let me give you is this number five on our punch list of living lives to the glory of God. You and I must realize that his glory will either be eclipsed. Or reflected in every situation. This kind of ties in with the first point we looked at today: how that in every we must realize how that in every situation, it's the most important thing—the glory of God. Think about how the moon reflects or mirrors the sun. The moon's just a, a hunk, a, an ugly hunk of rock, and yet it reflects. The glory of the sun. As we pursue lives of glory together here at Newtown Bible Church, we need to be, as we are spurring each other on to love and good deeds, we need to be spurring each other on into lives that reflect the sun, not lives that eclipse the sun. And as we refocus, fellow brothers and sisters, on the glory of God, encouraging each other and so much the more as we see the day approaching, we ought to graciously point out at times how we're eclipsing God's glory. This is that put-off dynamic of the New Testament, how that we need to put off sin in life. And then we can be clear with each other. Uh, edifying each other on how we can specifically replace or repent of these ways and reflect God's glory. This is the put-on dynamic, putting on righteousness. You've heard me say before that not all change is sanctification. You know, you can stop drinking, you can stop doing this, you can stop doing that, but if it's not compelled for the glory of Christ is not sanctification. It's just behavior modification. So this this putting off sin and putting on righteousness is all motivated by the love of God in Christ for us. Let me give you a sixth and final. Most likely we will need to solidify our grasp of commitment and repentance. Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1 for just a moment. James chapter 1. beginning in verse number 19. Now, before I read verse 19, let me remind you that the context is the Word of God. How were you born again? By hearing the Word of the gospel. That's verse 18 of the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we'd be kind of a kind of first fruits among his creation creatures and in the context of the word of truth he says in verse 19 that we all need to be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger in reference to the word of god For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, verse 21, putting aside, that's the put off, putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world." You notice all through this passage that a man or a woman of God, one that is devoted to the glory of God, is known in one way by what he doesn't do, what he has put off, one who keeps himself unstained by the world. One who is not deluded in thinking, I can hear the Word and know the Word, but not do the Word. So, it's, He's known by what He puts off, but also what he, what he puts on. Being doers of the Word, consistently pursuing a life of righteousness, a life devoted to the glory of God. So, as we together walk with each other for the glory of God, we ought to pursue or give fellow believers specific Scriptures to study. I, I gave you just a few. Deuteronomy 8 there is, is uh, where, the, where Israel was commanded to remember the Lord and His sovereign provision. Uh, how many years were they on the backside of the desert? Huh? Forty years? And their sandals didn't wear out they commemorated a memorial of God's grace. God provides for His own. Psalm 139, a great treasure chest of God's omniscience, His intimate knowledge of how He created us. Isaiah 40, giving us a big God perspective. As we seek to encourage each other towards lives that glorify God and and point each other to specific scriptures, we'd even think about different books or booklets that we can read to enhance lives of glory, whether it be A.W. Pink's Attributes of God or A Gospel Premier for Believers by Milton Vincent, how that we can be reminded to rehearse the gospel in our lives. The Valley of Vision, a collection of uh, Puritan prayers, as you encourage your fellow brother and sister towards a life that glorifies God, encourage them to develop a running list of God's attributes, to live in light of the great and glorious God, to even make a list of specific ways to reflect on His greatness and glory. And then evaluate life and priorities and how they're spent. I don't recall if I've made reference to this before, but during the construction of Emerson Hall at Harvard University... President Charles Eliot invited psychologist and philosopher William James to suggest a suitable inscription for the stone lintel over the doors of the new home of the philosophy department. After some reflection, brilliant philosopher James sent Eliot a line from Greek philosopher Protagoras, who said man is the measure of all things. That would be a great thing to put on the stone lintel. James never heard back from Elliot, so his curiosity was piqued when he spotted artisans working on a scaffold hidden by canvas. One morning, the scaffold and canvas were gone. You might wonder, what what was the inscription that the president determined would be on the lintel over Emerson Hall? It was, what is man that thou art mindful of him Eliot had replaced the philosopher's suggestions with words from an even wiser man, the psalmist. Because between those two lines lies the great distance between the God-centered and the human-centered points of view. And I trust that in our study over the last couple of weeks on life to the glory of God, that it's helped us develop a little more of a grid for having a god-centered world view rather than a man-centered one. Any uh thoughts or questions before I close this in prayer? Yeah, I have a yes. Um in Mhm. Mm-hmm. I think any great thought is stolen from somebody. Uh, and I don't remember who I stole it from. Origi- I, I had an evangelist friend that told me years ago, originality is the ability to forget where you got something. And so I forgot where I got it. But I, I think the theology behind it would just be all, all of Scripture talking about how that, how that we were created. We, we looked at the image of God a, a few weeks or so ago, and in some way, man reflects God's image in our, uh, you know, whether it's in our, our intelligence, our, our conscience, um, a friend of mine, Rick Holland, wrote a book, "Uneclipsing the Sun," and I think that that is what our duty is. I've I've shared my testimony with you before that I I grew up in a church where yeah, the the Bible was was taught, but a great deal wasn't made of Jesus. And if you don't make a big deal of Jesus, you you've missed the whole point. And so there needs to be that. Uneclipsing the sun in the pulpit and in our lives of holiness in our, in our homes and in our workplaces, that we put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. That when people see us, uh, you remember how Paul wrote to the Romans that uh, uh, you are our epistle known and read by all men. And so, as your co workers that are ne- not picking up their Bibles are reading our lives, they they need to see what what Christ is in the passions of our heart that are lived out those that are devoted to his glory father we we pray that you would assist us in this task as i said at the beginning the doctrine of the glory of god is elementary it's something probably everyone in this room has heard time and time and time again. It is elementary, but it is not easy. We are redeemed, most of us in this room, but you have left us in this unredeemed flesh. The willing is there, but the performance is often not. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to increase our consistent devotion to your glory as you would make us greater pursuers of Christ, greater Christians that are devoted to the glory of God in the face of Christ. Help us in putting off sin and putting on righteousness because we are compelled in our love relationship and out of communion with you Make us more consistent today than we were last Lord's Day in responding to your truth in lives of worship. As we gather back together in our individual homes, as we relate to our children and our spouses, might we relate to them in a gospel frame of reference, as often we don't. Might we not only be devoted to your glory, but more consistent in pursuing it. For the glory of Christ we ask it, amen.